So uh, if you grab your Bibles, if you don't have one, there should be one somewhere around you. Romans chapter 12 is where we're going to be. Romans chapter 12. But before we get there, just a couple uh, quick things. One, there's a piece of orange tape on the floor, and it just makes me feel like I need to stand here. Does anyone else just like, it's just a subconscious marker? Thanks, man. So. Maybe I'm going to preach from right here because that makes me uncomfortable. Um, So just as a word of uh, maybe reminder or maybe you don't know, um, for those that have gotten involved with us over the summer, what's about to take place the next two weeks is nothing short of crazy. Um, So we are going to have about 8,000 college students starting to roll back into Dahlonega, um, and they are going to be everywhere, including here. Um, so we're going to go from, I don't know, 60, 70, 80 to probably 130, 140, 150 over the next couple weeks. Um, and then just like college students, they're moochers, so when they find out we're not feeding them, they're going to leave and everything's going to be fine. Um, just kidding, college. Half of you laughed, half of you got offended. I'm sorry. <laughs> we'll create a safe space for you to complain about. But um, here, here's what I need you to know. As much as I love ragging college students, I do. It's one of my secret spiritual gifts. Um, I love that fact. But we are in Dahlonega, Georgia for a reason, and it is for college students. You need to know that we could have gone anywhere to plant this church anywhere, but we chose Dahlonega because we wanted to invest in the next generation. We wanted to see a multi-generational church, not just a normal church with a cool college ministry, but we wanted to be one together. And, and I could, if I could just rant on this, it would take the entire sermon. So if you have questions on that, let me know. Here's two, two quick things. One, between 80 and 88% of students drop out of their faith when they go to college. That is a problem. So we wanted to try to create a good, healthy church where that didn't happen. Um, the other part is we believe in this next generation, that we believe that, that there are church planters and church plant team members in this room right now. Here, here's a crazy statistic that honestly has me fired up. I didn't drink a Red Bull this morning. I'm just excited. Did you know between this campus or this church in Milledgeville, there are 17 people in our church planning pipeline. There are 17 college students and young adults in our pipeline to raise up to go plant number three, to go plant number four, to go plant number five, number six, number whatever. We can only do that because we invest and we believe in this next generation. So you will hear me rag college students all day long because you guys are uh, delicate and you don't realize the impact you leave. Like, just throw something away every now and then. It's fine. You can pick up the cup that you left on my nightstand or at my end table at my house and throw it in the trash can. It's not that hard. It's totally fine. You can take your food and not sit in my floor but go to the kitchen table and sit where normal adults sit. That's okay, too. You can do whatever you want to, but I'm just— Girls, I'm just messing with you. I see y'all looking. Yes, I'm talking about you, but it's okay. There was a whole wide table. I mean, in our house, no lie, we have a small table that has six seats, and then we have a massive table that has 12 seats. But Chick-fil-A in the middle of the den is fine, too. Whatever you want. So all I'm saying is I love you, girls. I'm just messing. We believe in this next generation. We're going to look different because of the amount of college students that are coming in. But that number 17 people within the pipeline that are going to be church planters and part of church plant teams within the next uh, couple years is just blowing my mind. It's got me so excited. So just be prepared. It's the, the, yes, they're coming. So uh, Romans 12 is where we're going to open up. Jeremy did a phenomenal job teaching last week for us. Um, 
Yeah, it, it was awesome. Um, but we want to, technically last week was the end of our spiritual disciplines. Our summer series is going through what does it look like for us to be disciplined in our faith. Um, but there's kind of that Shazam moment of like, oh wait, just one more kind of idea. Because there, there's one idea that we didn't cover this summer that the Lord just would not let me forget about. Especially going into the season with college students coming back and um, just get us getting back to a normalcy of life. I feel like we need to cover this idea this morning. So um, starting next week, we're going to do a four-part series called The Old Way, where we're looking at who we are as a church and what we do. We're not trying to be innovative or creative. We're actually trying to be biblical and do things the really old way like they did in the Bible times. Um, And then we're going to jump back into Luke. If you don't know anything about the branch, we've been, uh, we're going into our third year teaching through the book of Luke. Um, So Lord willing, we will finish Luke at Easter and then we'll move into some Old Testament book next year. But um, where we're going to do this morning um, is maybe something different. doesn't sound necessarily all spiritual, but I think it's going to, if you're like me, it's going to rock our world a little bit and have fun. Uh, because John 5 talks about this idea of being salt and light. Everyone know this? Being salt and light, being salt and light, and I misspoke, it's Matthew 5. Um, so what does it look like to be salt and light? What does it look like to be a city on a hill? What does it look like to stand out for the gospel? Uh, because that's one of those, it sounds great, it's a good idea, let's, yeah, let's be salt and light, let's be a city on a hill, let's point people to Jesus. Uh, but I have a wife, and I have four kids, um, and I pastor a church, not only here, but like, Part of my responsibilities is Milledgeville, and I try to have hobbies, and I try to have a life. So by the time I do all of that, do I actually have time to be a city on a hill? Like, do I actually have time to invest in people, to spend time with people? And I'm a, I get paid to do this. I'm a pastor. What about you guys? I mean, if we're just being honest with one another between school, between work, between family, between uh, pursuing your career, pursuing your studies, do we actually have time to be a city on a hill? Do we actually have time to be salt in, or, or salt and light? Do we actually do this? Because listen, we are a gospel-centered community living on mission. So our tagline, our mission, what we're trying to accomplish is be a community that lives on mission because Jesus is everything. But, but how well are we doing this? Do, what does this look like for us in our day-to-day life? Or does it kind of look like most of us trying to get to the gym? I'll do it next week. I'll do it next week. I'll do it next week. It's been five years, but I'll live on mission eventually. And so this morning, biblically, we want to try to understand this because I think as Americans, there's, there's two forces that we're simultaneously dealing with. There's this idea that we don't have time. I don't have time to be salt and or a light. I don't have time to be a city on a hill. But when we walk over here, if we do have time, then we most of the time prefer isolationism. Why do you guys think that Netflix is growing the way that it's growing? Because even when we do have time, what time do we prefer? It's time to ourselves. It's, it's me time. I deserve this. I'm going to veg out here. So we kind of live in this idea where, oh, I don't have time. Oh, wait, you do have time. You're right, I do have time. But, but listen, privacy for Americans is what we want. If you don't believe me, just go look on, uh, I don't know if anyone ho- house shops but go start looking at home ads on Realtor or the line, anything like that. The most, one of the most common words that you're going to see over and over and over again is privacy. Buy this house. Why? Because it's private. It's your own little oasis. That our home is our refuge. But Dehati Lewis would say that we should stop looking at our home as a refuge but a weapon for the gospel. 
So what does this transition look like to go, even though I have this home, I have this place where it is my refuge, how do I transfer this over to be a refuge or a, a weapon for the gospel, not just my own refuge? Because on average, Americans have people in their home less than nine times a year. On average, people have someone in their home less than nine times a year. And I would, just to be honest, say that's a little high. I think that's a little high. I think that's a little generous. So, so what does it look like for us as a Christian's responsibility to be salt and light, to be a city on a hill? What does this look like then if we feel like we don't have time? So let me, let me kind of maybe make a better illustration. I think it all comes down to this. Anyone know what this is? Spiky apple. Spiky apple. Yes. You see what your college tuition pays for, college students? Spiky apple. Yeah, so what is this? A pineapple, right? Does anyone know what this represents other than goodness? What? SpongeBob, you are fired. Anybody else? We just had a family pastor position open. Please apply with, from within. No, this is hospitality, right? So what a pineapple represents is hospitality. And the history of this is kind of fascinating. It started in the West Indies uh, when people were starting to come over, when the explorers were coming. Um, what they would look for is a pineapple carved into the gate. If they would see a pineapple on the gate of a community, they would know that I'm welcome here. I can come in. I can, do, I can get more supplies. I can get some food. I can get some drink. But they are welcoming me in. But if they didn't see a pineapple and they chose to walk into this community, they knew that a battle was about to happen. So this very symbol says strangers are welcome. This idea of hospitality. And what we're going to see today is, yes, we might not have time, but hospitality doesn't require time. It does not require time. And we're going to see what it's going to require. So Romans chapter 12 is where we're going to pick up. And what I want us to see, I don't, I don't put too much stock in this. I don't think we should as a church, but um, this subject heading, it wasn't invented, it wasn't with the original canon. They just put it there to help us understand. But what does it say? Romans 12, 9, what is right above it? Marks of the true Christian. So we're about to walk into this next paragraph. This is what it looks like to be a true Christian. So we're going to pick it up in verse 9. Let love be genuine. Does anyone know what a bookend is? Does anyone have a bookshelf? You have something at the beginning and something at the end to hold books together. Okay, remember this idea. We start off with let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hate what is evil, and hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. If you underline anything, underline that. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Verse 12. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. And seek to show hospitality. So if we're going from this bookend idea, let love be genuine and seek to show hospitality. So there's two different ideas here that we have to wrestle with because I do think, just church, look at me. I think you guys are tremendous. I really do. I was sitting back there getting ready to come preach, watching you guys worship. I think you're fantastic. That there's some things that I'm going through as I'm preaching through the Bible and go, I don't need to preach this to my church. They get it. They understand it. They're rocking it. In a lot of ways, we get verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. This idea of Philadelphia, right? City of... 
brotherly love. Okay, so they're stealing this from the Greek. That is a Greek term for love each other with brotherly affection. And church, I think we're killing it at this. I think community within here is, yes, we might struggle, we can always get better, but the genuine community that we've experienced as a family that I've seen take place, we love each other with a brotherly affection. We pull people in, we serve, we outdo one another in showing honor. Now, we get that, we understand that. But this isn't what he's talking about when he says hospitality. That is not this Philadelphia idea. This is Philoxenio. It's a different term to love the stranger. So it's not to love the brothers. It's not to love the sisters, those within the community. Hospitality is to love those outside the community, to love the strangers, to love the ones that don't look like you, that don't smell like you, that don't act like you, to love those. That is what it means to be hospitable. That is what it means to show hospitality. And I think we've all probably experienced this. I mean, if you just, if I were to, if we had time, we could all sit around and say, I remember this time when I felt so awkward walking into this room, walking into this environment, but there was this one person that, there's this group of people that, I was a stranger here, but there's a group of people that either did or didn't reach out to us. I remember last year taking Grady, my, my three, my four-year-old, geez Louise, four-year-old to preschool as a three-year-old, dropping him off, and the teachers came and welcomed him, but the kids, the, the other three-year-olds, the other sinners, uh, um, just looked up, kept doing their thing, and put their head back down. And I remember just in my head pleading, like, please, three-year-old little boy, come get up and talk to my son. Please, three-year-old little girl, come get up so my son doesn't feel like a stranger because he's just standing there and that teacher is way too close. I can smell her breath from here and it's awkward. Please, kid, just come love on my son. I heard well, this one phrase that being a parent is like having your heart outside of your chest and I was breaking for Grady because no one was coming to talk to him. He was a stranger in that room and he just stood there. Now, that's the good part about it being a three-year-old because he probably had no idea what was going on and just he went over and started playing with cars and the rest was history. But we experience this. We see this moment where people walk in. My son walks in as a stranger and he just stands there by himself. Now, the other side, I mean, the extreme other side, when my wife and I were playing about planting a church, um, we had went ahead and resigned from our other church. We were just kind of exploring the idea of what it looked like to plant. And, and my dad mentioned to this guy named Kevin Azell, who is the president of the North American Mission Board, I mean, one of the highest up in the SBC world there is, that we were going to plant a church, that his son and daughter-in-law were going to go plant a church somewhere in the country, and that's all that he knew. So through that, Kevin Azell, who has many things on his schedule said, I want to meet with your son. So I drove down to Alpharetta, walked into this big glamorous office and sat down. He said, man, how are you doing? And I literally said, Kevin, I don't belong here. Like I don't, what do you mean? I, I, I think we're going to plant a church, but I think I'm wasting your time. Like I, I don't know what we're going to do about church planning. So, so like, can we reschedule till I figure this out? Cause I'm, I, I don't belong here. I'm, I'm wasting your time. So by the end of that conversation, about an hour and a half later, he talked to me, he invested in me, he had poured into me. I walked out of that meeting with the permission to fly anywhere in the country to go check out any town that we wanted to to church plant and send Kevin the receipts. They were going to cover everything. So my wife and I got to fly to the Northwest and make a big circle around different college towns in the Northwest to see if that's where the Lord was leading us to. We could have never done that on our own. And so we got on the airplane to come home and we said, no, like that's not it. We're going to plant in Dahlonega. And so the rest is history. 
But that would not have happened if this Kevin guy, this Kevin Azell, did not welcome in a stranger. And he didn't stop there. Right? Like, he could have just met with me, and that would have been way more grace than he should have shown me. But he met with me, and then they paid for our entire trip to go out to the Northwest and to come home. For a week, they paid for everything. So to love this, the love of the stranger is not just a simple act of like, I'm going to write you a check, and you go about doing what you're doing. It is welcoming them in, and then what else can we do? What else can we do? What else can we do? Flip over with me real fast to 1 Peter 4. Because here's what we're going to see, and, and you might be starting to wrestle with me a little bit. Like, this is going to be a lot of work. This is going to be hard work to show hospitality, to show the love of a stranger. Isn't this going to be hard? 1 Peter 4 is going to answer that for us pretty clearly. 1 Peter 4, 8 through 10. First Peter 4, we'll pick it up in verse 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Are you starting to catch this correlation between love and hospitality? Since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. All right, so verse 9, if we were just to look at this very simply, show hospitality without grumbling. Just real quick, think about your favorite activity. What brings you the most joy? Right now our family's in this big camping kick. Do you have to tell me to go camping without grumbling? No. Do I have to tell you to go play Fortnite without grumbling? I still don't understand that stinking game. I'll be honest with you. I try. I, Nate lives in our basement and plays it, and I've sat there and tried to watch and understand, and I just don't. But do I have to tell you to do what you enjoy without grumbling? No. So is hospitality going to be hard just from context clues? Show hospitality without what? Grumbling without complaining. Is hospitality going to be hard work? Yeah, or else that wouldn't have been in there. So I can't stand here and say, yes, the love of the stranger, not the love of the brother, but the love of the stranger, go do it because it's going to be easy and fun and so rewarding. No. That's why we've included in the series called Spiritual Disciplines. That this is a discipline, and if we grow in, then freedom is found there. And verse 10 gives us another big clue. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So how then do we show hospitality? Am I going to show hospitality the same way that Kayla's going to show it, the same way that Jared's going to show it, the same way the Smiths are going to show it? By no means. We're all in different seasons, different walks of life. God has shown us all different levels of how he would say in verse 10, varied grace. So what I have, I have to use as hospitality. What Kayla has, she uses as hospitality. What the Pattersons use, they use as hospitality. What the Smiths have, they use as hospitality. But it doesn't mean that hospitality for me is going to look the same as anyone else because we all have a different level of varied grace. We all have different possessions, different things, different lifestyles. What do we do then with this idea of how do we show grace? 
Now let, flip over, there's just a couple more flips. Hebrews 13 is going to give us another, uh, hopefully, encouragement to show hospitality because I, I've become, over my years of preaching, an expert, I would say, at body language, and none of y'all are excited. I can just see it. It's okay. Evan's excited, but he's also had five shots of espresso today, so maybe it's just that. <laughs> Hebrews 13, 1, verse 1 and 2. Hebrews 13, verse 1 and 2. And I love the redundancy here because it just permeates what hospitality actually is. Hebrews 13, 1 and 2. Let brotherly love continue. All right, so stop. Let brotherly love on this side continue. Let the community of the saints continue. Love the brothers and sisters within the faith. That's over here, right? Verse 2. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. So we've already talked about Philoxenio. Hospitality is the love of strangers. So he just used this idea twice to reiterate, let the love of the community of the saints stay over here, but do not neglect the idea of showing love to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Now here's where it just gets crazy for a second. And this is, if I'm going to assign homework, this is where homework's going to come. Genesis 18 and 19, we see this example where Abraham and Lot um, have strangers show onto their property and they serve these guys like crazy. I mean, I'm talking, they didn't get up and say, man, what are you doing in my land? Why don't you get out of here? They instantly jumped up, went and got food, drink, water, shelter, whatever these guys need, they provided for them quickly, eagerly. The love of a stranger was true within Abraham and Lot, all to come to find out what? They're angels. All to come out that who they were serving were not just mortal men, but these guys were angels in disguise. And we see the same principle in Matthew 25 when he's saying, when you've, when you've clothed, when you've fed, when you've um, give drank to the least of these, you've served me. Because these guys are saying, listen, we didn't, we didn't provide for you, Jesus. We didn't do any of this. And he said, when you provide for the least of these, you provided for me. So when we show hospitality to strangers, when we... Um, understand and model out the love of the stranger, we may be in fact serving the angels. We have no idea the ramifications that will come from us simply showing a little bit of hospitality. We have no idea the ramifications of this. That this isn't some little menial task that the Spirit is asking us to do. This is true gospel work. Now, let me take a step back because we've kind of outlined it and I've, uh, I can read that no one's happy about showing hospitality and I understand. Why does this mean so much to us as Christians? I mean, why is hospitality something that we are eager to practice, that we see in Scripture, that we understand clearly? Why is this something that I'm preaching on? Why is this that we've included in the spiritual disciplines? Why is this important for us now and today? You don't have to flip there, but let me read Leviticus real fast. Way back in the Old Testament. When a stranger sojourns with you in the land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat, treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For, and this is where it gets crazy, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So what's happening here is that God is talking to the Israelites and saying, listen, when someone comes up on you, um, treat them with love, treat them with respect, treat them with the philoxenio, treat them with the love of a stranger. And he's reminding them because these guys are the Israelites. God has brought them from slavery, brought them from the promised land, and now they're living high on the hog. Y'all ever say that? 
High on the hog. Did I just make that up? Trademark, right? They're living high on the hog. They're enjoying life. And God's saying, listen, 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 you fools. You were once a stranger and I brought you in. Now it's your turn. That you were enslaved to Pharaoh, that you wandered the desert for years, and I have brought you in. I am God. You were a stranger. Now you're not. Do the same likewise. So flip to Ephesians 2, because this isn't just some Old Testament narrative. This continues for us day after day after day. Because what we're going to see is this idea of the hospitality, the love of the stranger that's, stranger that's symbolized by this pineapple is actually symbolized by the cross that we were once all strangers from God. And he went out of his way to show us the love that we did not deserve. Ephesians 2, we're going to pick it up in verse 12. Ephesians 2, verse 12. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. So when we were walking in our sinful nature, we were separated from Christ, alienated alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and the strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, having no hope and without God in the world. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought back by the blood of God. You that were once strangers have now been redeemed. Why? Because God has a love for the stranger. So, so here's, here's the problem. If I could just help to dissect the room a little bit. Here's why I would argue, I would, I would push that some of us necessarily don't understand or gravitate towards the idea of hospitality. If you were saved before you were 10, raise your hand. If you were saved before you were 10, okay. So that was me. I'm not knocking on you, but here's what I know. There's no way we could really understand that we were strangers to God before we were 10. There's just not. And I'm not saying that God didn't truly save you. I didn't say that he didn't truly redeem you. I'm not arguing that by no means. But what I am saying is that there's no way we could have understood that we were strangers, that we were alienated from the gospel unless God intervened, unless God had a true love of the stranger, there's no way that we could have been made right with God, period. So when we think about, when we marinate on this idea of hospitality, the love of the stranger, we have a hard time remembering that we were once strangers to God, but through Christ we are no longer that way. We just forget. We're Grady in that story. We were just three. We don't, we don't remember. We just remember playing in cars in the classroom, and that was all fine and good. But we don't remember that moment of sitting there going, now what? that I've caught up in my sin. There's no way I can redeem. I'm a stranger to God. Now what? And Ephesians 2 just comes alive in us. Or for others of us, we might have been saved decades and decades and decades ago. Praise God for that. But we've forgotten what it felt like to be a stranger. That maybe we weren't saved early in life. We were saved later in life. But salvation for us has been so long ago that we forget that we weren't only strangers, but we were enemies to God, says Scripture. And he still sent his love for us. Or maybe there's the other ones. And I think the first two are the more popular ones. But I think there's a few handful in this room that desperately remember that moment. That you remember coming to grips with all that God is and the power and the might that he is. And going, if that's God and if this is me, I can't do anything. 
And you wrestled with that. And when you found scripture, when you found Ephesians 2.13, that says, but now in Christ Jesus, you were who once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Scripture came alive in you. You got it and you understood it and you wrestled with the fact that I was once far off from God, but because of what he's done through Christ, I'm no longer a stranger. I'm no longer an alien. Now I'm a son. Now I'm a daughter. The gospel came alive in you. But I do think there's a fourth category here. I do think there, there are probably some in this room that don't know the gospel, that you've not come to grips with the idea that you are a stranger, that unless you put your hope in Christ through faith alone, salvation is not yours. But I would argue and I would encourage the Lord is wooing you here. You're not sitting in church because this is a fancy service that God is calling you, he is pursuing you, why? Because he understands the love of the stranger. The reason that you're here in this room is because God loves the strangers, that he wants you desperately to be part of his family. He's drawing you, he's wooing you in even right now. So if you're wrestling with this idea of Christianity, I'm telling you, God loves the strangers. He's pursuing you, he's coming after you. Quit running from that. So, So then what do we do? If we've seen biblically that, that now we are a pineapple people because of the cross, that we are to show hospitality, that the pineapple should be all over the front of our house, that we should even live in a pineapple. Thanks, Ricky. <laughs> what then do we do? So here, here's what I want to do. For the next couple minutes, I just want to spend, uh, I've got a few application points, what hospitality would actually look like for us if we applied it. Now here, I'm going to put a big caveat because I started this sermon by saying we don't have time. And when we do have time, we want to be selfish with our time. And I do believe that there is time for Sabbath and rest. I am taking a nap this afternoon, and I will not answer any of your phone calls. And I don't feel bad about it. That smile from Madison, or Maddie looks like she's going to come mess with me because I called her out for Chick-fil-A. So please protect me. Right? I agree. There are times for Sabbath. There's times for rest. But I also believe that we have more time than we think. So when I'm going through these applications, this idea of what does it look like to have the love of the strangers, two things I want us to remember. None of what I'm about to say is going to require more time from us. Did y'all catch that? To be hospitable, to show the love of strangers, nothing that I'm about to say is going to require any more time from us. Nothing. So we can go ahead and throw that out the window. And none of what I'm going to say is going to look like entertaining either. Huge difference. It's not going to require any more time or any more entertainment. So the first one I want us to understand from a biblical standpoint is biblical hospitality that's not about perfect food, decor, or home. Biblical hospitality has nothing to do with perfect food, decor, or home. I would blame Martha Stewart for this. And I'm not talking like jailbait Martha. I'm talking the historic, like famous Martha Stewart that like was perfect and had everything. Does he, do y'all even know who Martha Stewart is? I feel like there's a generation gap happening right here. Martha Stewart, right? I mean, she's made this, like the table is, she's the one that learned how to fold a fitted sheet. That's dumb. You don't fold a fitted sheet. You just throw it in your pantry or closet and be done with it. Any witnesses? Boys, look at me real quick. If you've never folded a fitted sheet, you're a boy. Be a man. Go try It'll whoop you. So what we're trying to get our understanding around is this. Don't feel pressure to have your home as some perfect place that people cannot come over because I don't have this, I don't have that, I don't have this. Remember the varied grace idea? 
Do you have a place to show hospitality to? Then do it. And don't worry about the details. Don't worry about the rest. If you want to pick up a little bit, sure. But don't make the excuse. Let me take a step back. Some of you should pick up if you can. I mean, Clorox makes these Clorox wipes. Just wipe over some countertops would be fine with me. But we have this idea that like we can't host because look at my house. Look at this. I've got to clean. I've got to do all of this sort of stuff. Here's what we're trying to understand. Are we trying to get them to fall in love with us? Or are we trying to get them to fall in love with Christ in us? That's what hospitality is. So you don't have to have the perfect home or the perfect environment or the perfect place setting, right? Like decorated that you did from Pinterest. All that stuff is good and great. If you enjoy it, by all means, do it. But we cannot let hospitality stop because we don't feel like we have the perfect home or decor. I was meeting with a church member this week. I love this. This is one of the stories that's going to go down in history. Meeting with a church member this week, and they told me this story um, that they were getting ready to have their MC over, and they knew that some other people were coming with their MC, so they were trying to clean up the house. And um, a, a middle schooler spoke up and said, Mom, this is just family coming over. Why do we have to clean for them? That is what hospitality looks like. There's just family coming over. We don't have to impress, we don't have to break our backs to try to get the house ready. It's just, it's family. We're welcoming in family. Number two, biblical hospitality is about inviting people into your normal, everyday life. There's a phrase that we used to say a lot at the beginning of the branch, and and I'm going to start bringing it back. We're not asking you to do anything different, but the same things differently. So you don't have to change your entire evening schedule or your entire weekend schedule to show hospitality. Do what you're going to do anyways, but just invite people in with you. It's not about doing anything different. It's doing the same things differently. Just invite people into your normal, everyday life. My wife and I were kind of forced into this rhythm with one kid. We could, like, try to clean up and make our house look all presentable. With two kids, we tried really hard. Three and four, we just punted. Like, forget it. This is our home. Why you come to our house? Here's what I can assure you is going to happen when you come to our house. Um, Some kid is going to have a meltdown. We're going to change a dirty diaper right in front of you. You're going to see my temper flare up at some point within the evening, and you're going to have to watch Brie go, I'm sorry, guys. This, this is just our home. Those are four staples that's going to take place, whether you're there for 15 minutes or 15 hours. Those are going to happen in probably in succinct order. But that, that's our home. This is our life. A kid's going to scream. They're going to fall down. I'm going to yell at them for screaming and falling down. It's just life. We don't have to change everything that we are to show hospitality. We're going to eat dinner. Bring something over with you. We're going to the park. Just come with us. I I kind of saw this play out. My wife is on the social committee in our neighborhood and plans all these events. Is doing a fantastic job at it. So last night we did this outdoor movie. Y'all ever seen Ferdinand? That's a pretty cute movie. That's good. So we watched Ferdinand. It was fun. Everyone's hanging out. But you know what more people showed up for in the last week in our neighborhood? One mom put on Facebook in our neighborhood page, hey, I'm going to the playground. Anyone want to come? There's like 15 people that ended up coming down. We had like three families. So are big events and social things great? Yes, by all means, plan those. But some of the best things for hospitality is I'm doing this. Who wants to come with me? Just inviting people into your everyday life. 
which kind of leads me into the next one. Biblical hospitality is about an open life, not about an open home. Because here's what I know just happened. The first two were kind of centered around your home. And so I know there's some college students going, I live in dorms, I can't have people over. No hospitality for me. Nope, you're wrong. Open life, not open home. Jared is a great example. Can I pick on you for a minute, Jared? Well, here's what I love about Jared. Uh, Jared and I have a very good bond around Dairy Queen. Jared loves Dairy Queen. But here's what I know about Jared and Dairy Queen. Jared will not, well, what I believe to know. Jared does not go to Dairy Queen without sending out a group me to our MC going, I'm going to Dairy Queen. Anyone in? Right? So, so if you guys don't know, Jared is an Abbey or RDs. They live on campus. Having people into their home is a little difficult because they live in a dorm. They live on campus. But the Pattersons have an open life. Where we're going, you can come with us. It's not just about an open home. It's about an open life. All that we do centers around bringing people in. Because here's the opposite. If we don't open up our lives to people, what are we saying to strangers? I don't value you. I don't have time for you. Go away. Not just an open home, but an open life. If I don't open up my life to you, what is that saying to the strangers around us? I don't believe in you. I don't have time for you. Go away. So biblical hospitality starts with an open life, not an open home. Here's another thing we want to say. I'm just kind of going through these quickly. Biblical hospitality is how we live on mission and how we live in community. So if you guys don't know anything about us, we just do three things as the branch. We do Sunday gatherings, we do missional communities, and we do DNA groups. There's a specific reason that we chose the word missional community. Missional community. Yes, my wife spilled her coffee. Look at me. Look at me. There's a reason we call it missional communities, because we cannot separate those two. We do mission how? By doing it in community. We seek after the strangers how? Not alone, but we do it within the context of community. And I'm not trying to knock this idea, but just let me maybe set uh, some parameters here. A lot of times in, in the last church I was on staff at, we had small groups, but these small groups, once they formed, what? They froze. That once this Bible study started, you cannot get into this small group. You've got to wait till the next one starts up so that you can get in. You can't get into this one now. We will never close missional communities because if a community lives on mission, there should always be people coming into this environment. So how we live on communities, how we live uh, on mission. How we live in mission is how we live in community. Those two things are not opposites, but they work together. So when we're talking about the love of the stranger, don't feel like you have to do all of this on your own. Do this mission within the context of community. Biblical hospitality, number five, is, about, is better when we do it together. So as we're doing this idea, uh, one, one of the things I love to see, and this isn't like uh, a passive-aggressive jab, this happens almost every single time we have missional community or people over at our house, is when everyone kicks in together and cleans the kitchen at the same time. Other MCs, y'all see this take place? I mean, what would have taken Bree and I an hour to do because I would have been grumbling and complaining the entire time, and then I would have left and then came back and left and came back and then fallen asleep and then finished the next morning. We can literally do in about three minutes. So when we do this, when we practice this idea of hospitality, please do not feel like you have to do it alone. What would it look like? Where's Sydney? Sydney Cardell. Sydney is like a rock star at this. Um, she started this idea, I mean, hospitality is something she's near and dear about. So she started this idea Sunday afternoons. Do you guys still do this? Okay, Sunday afternoons at Sydney's house. Come over and hang out as long as you want to. But here's one catch. Bring your own food. 
So you can show hospitality, you can open up your home, you can open up your life, but that doesn't mean that you have to literally cook a meal for every single person that comes over. You're going to pass Captain D's on the way to Sydney's house. Just go through Captain D's. Stop. Stop. Everyone loves Captain D's. Don't disagree. Jesus multiplied what? Not waffle fries, fish. Let's go. Right? I'm just kidding. I've actually never had the Captain D's here, but Bree and I got in arguments about this the other day, and so it's still fresh in my mind. Because Captain D's is beneath her, evidently. That was a staple in our home growing up. Just, just sidebar. If you like Captain D's, raise your hand. Where are we at? All right. <laughs> Sit down, Captain D haters. So, so here's what I'm going to, if we can bring it back. <laughs> you don't have to cook. You don't have to provide. You don't have to do everything for people to come over. Just open up your home, open up your life, and let people come in. Don't feel like you have to cook this huge, glamorous meal. You're broke. That's fine. Can you make a sandwich for yourself? Sure. Then tell everyone just to bring your own sandwich stuff. It's not, we just made this idea of hospitality so complicated, but it's not. Just welcome people into your heart. Welcome people into your life. Uh, where's my type A people in this room that love plans and details and organization? Where's everyone else? All right. Biblical hospitality is both spontaneous and planned. It's both spontaneous and planned. It's, it's got to be both, and it's fine to be both. So maybe your spouse is a little bit more type A than you are or opposite. Man, plan a couple times a month to have people into your homes, but then also just be open that if we're going here, we're going to welcome people to come with us. Because it doesn't have to be planned. It doesn't have to be organized. It doesn't have to be glamorous. It's all about bringing strangers with you. But let me maybe wrap, uh, wrap it up and in, in, in the plane here. Because I, I promise you that true biblical hospitality, I'm going to stand over here. True biblical hospitality will not add anything else to your schedule. It doesn't have to. At moments it can if you want it to. I mean, if you want to cook a huge meal for people, by all means do it. But it doesn't have to. Biblical hospitality does not require any more time. So yes, we all are busy, we all have, but, but we have time to be hospitable to the strangers. But is it going to cost you something? Yes. It might not be time, but true biblical hospitality is going to cost you something. It is. I, I cannot sugarcoat this for you. It will cost uh, much money. It will cost privacy. It will cost a free time. It will cost a dirty home. There's going to be a lot of costs that are going to come along with the idea of being biblical hosp- or biblically hospitable. It will. I don't want to try to make all of this hospitality to come out to sound like, it's just, oh, just everyone go do it. It's going to be so. It will cost you something. Hebrews 12, 2 is where I want us to land. Everyone flip to Hebrews 12, 2. One of the true marks of a good leader is someone that's not going to ask you to do something they wouldn't do on their own. And so Christ, showing the love of the stranger, it costed him something as well. Hebrews 12, pick it up in verse 2. Excuse me, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, if you have time this afternoon, read Hebrews 11. It will explain the heroes, the hall of fame Christians. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely to us and run the race, uh, run the, with endurance the race that is set before us. Verse 2. 
looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despised the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. It cost, literally, hospitality cost Jesus Christ everything. Biblical hospitality, the love of a stranger, literally cost Jesus his life. To welcome you and I in, that we were all once strangers, alienated from God, but because of the biblical hospitality that Jesus Christ showed us, he counted the cost and went for it. So I promise you, maybe not promise, I assure you, that for 99.999% of us, biblical hospitality is not going to cost us our life. But if Christ was willing to lay down his life on the cross so that we would no longer be strangers but be sons and daughters, so we'd no longer be enemies but be friends, what does that mean for us? What does that mean for you? What does that mean for me as we leave this place today? What does biblical hospitality look like when we understand that the pineapple is the ultimate cross? That when we stop, and I pray in a second, and we go take communion, what we're celebrating, what we're remembering is the ultimate sacrifice of biblical hospitality. That we were once strangers and alienated from God, and now we're not because the cost because of the cross, that is what he's done for us. So when we talk about this idea of discipline, of, of hospitality, we're walking behind the Savior that has done it for us. And the motivation, the why, I think the why is the most important thing we can answer for anything. The why of why we want to show hospitality, why we study in scriptures, why we practice this discipline, is because he has first loved us. First John would say, what we love, we show hospitality, we do all of this, why? Because Christ first loved us. So as we take communion this morning, let us just remember that. Just for three, four minutes, just celebrate the fact that we were once strangers and now we're not. And as we pray and consider, the next question is, what then do we do? How do we show hospitality, not to the believers around us, but to the strangers around us? So let's pray. And Father, we could worship you forever for one simple fact that we were strangers and now we're not. That because of what you did on the cross for us, we are no longer strangers. We are no longer enemies of you. Father, it's, it's hard to take it in to understand, to appreciate the fact that when you went to the cross for us, you already knew that we were strangers. You knew that we were sinful people, that when you died on the cross, all of our sins were in full display. You still did it anyways. And then when you prayed that night in the garden for let the cup pass, if there's any other way for this to take place, if not, your will be done. You are counting the cost of what it means to show hospitality. That you didn't walk into this decision haphazardly, but you considered, you counted the cost and said, the love of the stranger outweighs the love of myself. Let's go. I'm going to pick up my cross. I'm going to walk to that hill. I'm going to be crucified for nothing. I'm an innocent man willingly laying my life down because I love these strangers. 
And so, Father, let us not do any act of hospitality until we first understand how much hospitality you've shown to us, how much love you've shown to us. Father, we know that, but let us believe it with all that we are. That there's no way, there's no way we could be made right with you apart from the cross. So as we pray, as we prepare our hearts for these college students coming back in, would we show biblical hospitality? As we consider, as we go home today, would we look at those that we work with, those that we live near, the communities around us where we don't know them and they don't know us, they are strangers to us, they're strangers to you, what would it look like for us to go into those environments and show hospitality? How much would we stick out and stand out if we really walked in this idea of hospitality? But Jesus, thank you for, thank you for communion. Thank you for breaking the bread and the wine with your disciples so that we can stop in this moment and remember that we were once strangers and now we're not from that, from that overflow, let us seek to be hospitable without grumbling to the strangers around us. Oh, we love you. Now it's time for us to love those around us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.